0: Sorry, church. Good morning. My name is Brian. I am the student pastor here at the fellowship. Um, there's a running joke that, you know, and it's been around forever, and I, I'm not talking about the bad grammar joke. That gets old, um, although you're probably going to hear a lot of it today, but that's okay. Is the joke that it's usually a holiday if the student pastor is preaching like a holiday weekend and this whole time I thought that this was not a holiday weekend I forgot all about Labor Day that's what I forget about so I'm sitting at home last night going over my sermon I'm excited I'm like whoa and I'm like man it's a holiday but you all showed up so thank you for that uh, can we give our worship team a hand this morning guys you did a great job um, we'll go ahead and get this out of the way uh, normally uh, the way it works, in, 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 at least as I've been in the ministry for 20 something years, is when God prepares a sermon, He'll teach me these things leading up to the actual sermon that He gives me. And uh, I can feel the growth, right, uh, of walking this journey with God and, and leading up to um, the preparation for a sermon. Like, uh, I promise you, it's not like the night before and I'm like, oh man, I got to preach a sermon tomorrow. And then I just, I'm not that, I'm nowhere near that smart, okay? No jokes there, okay? And Lynn, you're not allowed to tell a joke when you come back up here either. So here's the deal. I feel the growth of preparation as I'm preaching a sermon because I don't feel like God would want me on the stage if I just stood up here and, and told you something and preached through God's Spirit, and then I walk out of here and I'm like, well, they can live that, I'm not. That would make what we call, make me a hypocrite. But here's the honest thing about the preparation for this sermon. I have to be honest with you. I haven't arrived at this point yet. Because I think this is something we struggle with our entire life until God calls us home. And I think God understands that. And I think we're going to see the grace of that today. There was a man named John the Baptist. And if you remember John the Baptist, John the Baptist in the womb in uh, Elizabeth Woman he got excited just jumping around at the announcement that Jesus was coming, right? This is a man who got to baptize Jesus. Like I tell the students all the time, I'm like, when I get to heaven, and I think about this all the time, and I don't think we think about heaven enough, but when I get to heaven, I think about like when I go like what am I gonna do? Right? I know my ADD not going to be there anymore. There's no sickness, no anything like that. I don't think our ADD will exist. But Well, I'm in heaven because I'll be bouncing around everywhere. But when I walk into heaven, the fascinating thing of seeing David and, and Paul and all these people that we have read about, the heroes of the faith, and all these people like Job and Jeremiah who have struggled and come out on the other side of things and how they handled it through Scripture. John the Baptist is one of the ones that I want to meet first because I just want to sit down and have a conversation with the guy and ask him, Like the moment that you got to baptize the Son of God, what was that like? That's who we're talking about this morning. And I want to set it up before we get to our text. I want to read just so you have an idea who we're talking about with John the Baptist here. In John chapter 1, 19 through 34, this is what God's Word says. Then John, the te- John gave the testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. In Matthew 3.11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So if you ended that right there, the description I give you of John the Baptist, you would leave here thinking, man, John the Baptist, that's where I want to be. Like, that's faith, that's excitement, that's mountaintop excitement, right? Right? We all the time talk, Lynn hit it on the nail last week when was talking about students and planning camp and fall retreat and freedom weekend, things like that. Like I don't sit down and think when's the perfect month that will just bring the most excitement where they can come back, and it's contagious because when you come back from camp and you come back from fall retreat and you do all these, there's an excitement, and we call that mountaintop experience. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the planning part, it's the removal of distractions that gives us that mountaintop experience. Like, they don't have many, so many distractions, and they can zero in, and they can think about the Lord and read about the Lord and pray about the Lord, and they're hearing about God and they're singing about it all the time. I'm like, man, people ask me all the time, like, how do we maintain mountaintop? And I'm like, well, that's not realistic. But if we want to get there, it's the removal of distractions. But for John the Baptist, this was it. It had to be the mountaintop experience. So I, let, I wanted to build that up to read to you our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, and you can, it'll be on the screen behind me. You'll flip to uh, the book of Matthew. Chapter 11. We've all had these experiences just like John the Baptist. And we all, at times, either you're here today and you're in this moment I'm about to read. Or you're going to be. This is what God's Word says in Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison... Remember, this is John the Baptist I just read about. This is who we're talking about here. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk." Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Pray with me. Father, we come to you humbly this morning. So many prayer requests. Lord, uh, I don't even know if we have time to fill them all. But the good news is that you know every single one of them. Father, provide us with grace in moments like today that we're reading about in those moments where we don't understand and those moments where we have doubts and those moments where we question you in those moments where we feel that you don't meet our expectations. Maybe we're thankful for your mercy that you give us during this time because Father, you know our hearts, you know our minds So, God, help us understand as much as possible today through your word, because that's the only absolute truth we have. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. According to this passage, John the Baptist is already convinced that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So, why is he asking in prison? You have to understand. Now, here's Jesus. Jesus is out. Uh, I I thought, Riley, I thought you waved at me. I was going to wave back. Uh, Anyway, ADD, listen. Jesus... Jesus is out doing some amazing things. Like his popularity is gaining. And a lot of people, there's buzz going around. And John the Baptist, who was a part of this mountaintop experience, now he has landed himself in prison. And he is asking himself, is Jesus really the Messiah? And we do the same thing. Now, we may not be locked in physical prison, church, but we're locked in some kind of prison at times, whether it's spiritual frustration and here's the thing with the pandemic and not just a pandemic we have friends we have loved ones we have things going on in our life that just don't make sense and as church people i was grown up i grew up in church and i I know like there were certain things you just didn't say in church like you never questioned god like i grew up in my grandmother's church right and it, it it was like you know like 40 50 people and it's like it was odd a little bit. It was good. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just, oh, you just weren't allowed to talk much about anything like that was really going on. right? And you're like, the world around us is falling apart. And I'm like, I'm in, as a little young mind, I'm in this place. And I'm like, surely we can talk about it here. right? Like our lives are falling apart. Our marriages are falling apart. Our friendships are dissolving. We have loved ones in the hospital. We have this and that. And all these things going on. I'm like, surely here... Like, I know we put on a show just about everywhere else, but surely here, because we understand and we know that God really sees what our heart uh, is feeling and what our minds is, are thinking, and doubts start to creep in, because we're like, wait a minute now. God, where are you? And yeah, you just sing this song, man, in my grandmother's church. Do y'all remember, if you've gone to church, you remember that song, He's an All-Time God? Y'all remember that? Nobody? Nobody? Do y'all remember that? He's an all-time God. Yes, he is. Yeah, somebody, please. No, okay. <laughs> no, not many Christians here today. Here's the thing. <laughs> He's an all-time God. Yes, he is. And, and I don't want to sing because y'all would ask me probably to join a worship team, and I don't want to do that. Here's the thing. I would hear that song, and I still hear it today. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, and you don't want to say it out loud, But I'm just going to say it out loud. When I hear it, I'm like, okay, God, whose time are you actually on? Because I have said prayers at times, and I have begged, and I have pleaded, and and my mind has drove me crazy because I'm like, God, do you hear me? Like, do you actually hear what I am praying to you? Because you're not showing up. And then that happens another time, and it happens another time. And all of a sudden, and, and with the students, we just finished a, a series called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And we were going through Psalm 23, and it was talking about, you know, he, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I'm sitting there, you're sitting at that table with God, and all of a sudden, the enemy is circling, and he's just throwing doubts in your mind. He's like, God doesn't hear you. One, you're a disappointment. Two, you have failed him. Three, the fact that you even doubt him disqualifies you. And it just bounces off of you. And all of a sudden, man, the enemy is sitting down with you. And you're having a full conversation with him. And you have went into full-blown mode like, I don't even know if God's real or not. And I know that you probably would never say that out loud. But John the Baptist right here is like, are you really the Messiah? Or Are we waiting for someone else? You gotta remember the mountaintop that he was on. The guy's in prison now. And the expectations John had of Jesus is what's going on here. He asked this question because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that John envisioned, John had different expectations. He became confused because Jesus did not dethrone the tyrants of Rome. He became confused because Jesus did not abolish the rule of the hypocritical Pharisees who controlled the religious establishment. He was confused because Jesus was associating with tax collectors. I was on Facebook, and I have a thing where I I try not to scroll down on Facebook, but the enemy got me this day. It was a political post. Stupid. I knew not to click on it. Like, I knew what I do? Clicked on it. Don't judge me. Some of you were on that, but no, I'm just kidding. I clicked on the post, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm looking down the post, and I, and I start to see the post go from, you're an idiot, right? It's Democrat, Republic, Liberal, Conservative. You're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And then, boom, somebody comes out the gate. It's like, God's going to strike you down for your stupidity. And then all of a sudden, it's God war breaking out. Well, God's going to strike you down because of your stupidity. And I'm sitting there thinking, and half of you make fun of my grammar because being from Alabama, you have the Alabama jokes, whatever. Here's the deal. I'm smart enough to sit there and look, and I'm like, do they both know that they're equally as stupid with what they're saying? Like, first of all, that's not God's attribute of, hey, because of your political place that you stand, you're disqualified from heaven. And then we get into that because the enemy has done a great job of separating the church. Man, brilliant, because isolation is his gold, right? And he's sitting there, and people start going from that. It's just bouncing from, like, liberal, conservative, mass, non-mass. It just keeps going and going and going. And and I look up, and I see 1,972 comments. And it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And that's the expectation sometimes we have of God. It's like, God, those people are idiots. Come strike them down. God, that person took my parking spot. God, that person talked to me or didn't talk to me at church or talked about me at church. And we get this mentality of that's who God is. And God doesn't meet those expectations. Then we get upset and get mad at him. And then there's the expectations of where I am a lot of times when I pray to God. And I'm like, hey, I'll be honest with you. When my grandmother was on this earth, I prayed to God, do not take my grandmother. That was mine and God's beef. That's why I just, I couldn't, that's when I come to really know Jesus with 25. Because when I was that age, I was sitting there and people were telling me all the time, God loves you, God's going to give you great things. And if you just ask in his name, this is going to happen. I'm like, none of this is happening. And then when I got in the Navy, I started following him. And guess what? There's prayers that I prayed that still hasn't happened. There's examples of that where I look back, like when I dated a girl and like, ninth to twelfth grade and i'm like man if god would have answered that prayer i would have been miserable i'm with my wife of 21 is it 21 okay 20 it's 20 20 plus years right <laughs> is jesus really messiah that's the question the very question which john the baptist struggled with in today's passage. And John knew he had taught that Jesus would increase and that he would decrease. But now he was in prison and may have been there for nearly a year. And Mark six, seventeen, eighteen, 17, 18 tells us why John was in prison. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodotus and his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married... For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Bro, that's weird. He didn't add that part. That part was me. Like John just told the truth. John called someone out for doing something that's not right in God's eyes. What did it get him? It landed him in prison. John's in prison because of his righteousness and for calling others to repentance. And there was confusion on the part of John and he began to have doubts. And we either have been or are currently in the same situation John was in. Like I said, it may not be physical prison, but many of you may be in spiritual depression, spiritual frustration, fear, or just disappointment in God. Or maybe for goodness sakes, man, maybe you have been where I was at not too long ago, where I, just, I remember sitting down in a chair, and I remember it was quiet as could be. And I remember just sitting down and I was talking to God. It's just random conversations because God doesn't mind that, right? He's God. And I took a deep breath and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted watching the news. I'm exhausted of hearing bad news. I'm exhausted of, of seeing teenagers' hearts who were broken. I am like all these things going around. And I'm like, God, could you just show up and. Some way or some capacity, because in my mind, I'm like, you're not meeting my expectations of what I feel like you should be doing. That's just a conversation God and I had. And here are the things, just like with John the Baptist, when we have, because we, we, we hate to say these things out loud, but sometimes when God does not meet our expectations, we're often too quick to question God rather than ourselves. And we trust our expectations of what God should be doing more than we trust what God is actually doing. And our text gives us a few ideas on how we get to this point when God isn't meeting ourselves. St- Expectations. It's the same thing that led John here. It's the same thing that leads us to the point to where we start having doubts. And one is crushing situations. John identified Jesus not by the activities that he did, but he identified him based on the essence of who he was, which is really important in how we relate to God because if we only learn to identify God by what he does and what he does for us, then our expectations will be attached to his activity. And that's just a dangerous place to be. And it's very dangerous to have low expectations of God. What if if God did not want to meet our expectations? Maybe because he wants to exceed our expectations. I mean, it was funny a while ago what I said about my wife, but I prayed to marry this other girl, and and that was in my mind, God meeting my expectations. But God's like, no, hey, I'm not going to answer that prayer because I'm going to exceed your expectations and give you the woman that I meant you to have. Now, that don't get me brownie points. I don't know why. I give up, right? But he did that. When I was in the military, man, I went in. And I was like, I'm going to stay. I had it all planned out, right? And God was with me. By this time, me and God were together. We, like, I truly had a relationship with God. And I was like, okay, God, here's what's going to happen. Oh, God loves this. I'm sure he does. When we, you ever done that? Like, God, here's what's going to happen. Oh, God, this is what's going to happen. But but I'm excited. I'm doing it in excited Brian's uh, voice. And sometimes I get a little pitch in my voice. And it's just like this excitement. And I'm like, God, here's what we're going to do. Like, I had it all planned out. I'm going in the Navy, and I'm going to stay 20 years, right? And I'm going to retire because I had a cousin who had retired. And he was doing great. He was a school teacher, and he was still getting paid here, and he was still getting paid here. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I'm like, I watched. this is how I joined the military. Here's how deep it is for Brian Early. Here's here's my ADD at his best. One day I'm sitting on my couch, right? And the movie Top Gun comes on. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And I sit there I'm like, man, that looks like that would be okay to do. Next day I go, I sign up in the Navy. Boom, I'm gone in August. That's it. I felt the need for speed. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But I'm sitting there, God, this is what we're going to do. And then I met my best friend, in the military. His name was Dana Lynn. He was from the great state of Minnesota, and we had this plan. I'm like, okay, now we're backing up, God. I'm going to change the plans, and I need you to meet these expectations. We're actually not going to stay 20 years. We're going to get out. His mom and stepdad started building a room in their basement. He got out a month after me, or was supposed to. And I was going to get out, and I was going to go to Minnesota, and I was going to live in that basement, and his mom was going to get me a job, and I was going to go to college, and then Dana was going to come out, and we were just going to be bachelors, and we were just going to love Minnesota and fish. I don't even fish. It just sounded like a good plan to do, right? And I'm like, God, can you do that? And, and, and all of a sudden, one day I'm working. We're, we're, we're over toward Bahrain during the first weapons check, and we're building a bunch of bombs. Guy moves a forklift. I come rolling off on the other end. My back hits the tip of a bomb, and the rest is history. Got medically discharged. Had to move back to Alabama, and for goodness sakes, man, I I am an Alabama fan through and through. I am. I just didn't want to go back there to live. That's no offense to Alabama. I I, I love where I was raised. I just had these plans, man. These plans that now that I'm following God, I'm like, God, you heard all these prayers. Like, I actually, here's the deal. Like, I actually knelt down. And and prayed. I don't know if that makes prayer that more more realistic or that more important, but I'm like, it's better than praying standing up, right? I know that's how my mind worked. And I'm like, God, I'm talking to you all the time, just random conversations in the car. People are looking at me like I'm stupid, and I'm asking you this over and over and over and over again. And this wasn't part of the plan. How many times have you been there? We're we're all there right now because there's nobody in this building. And if if you did, please come see me because I want to hang out with you a little bit. There's nobody in this building that predicted that there was going to be a pandemic. Not that far in advance. And we're all scratching our heads and we're all exhausted, man. We're like... God, what is going, this wasn't part of the plan. These aren't the expectations I thought that you were going to meet. And we would dare to say, when I signed up to follow you, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Now, looking back on it these crushing situations is where it leads us to this moment of despair where we just feel like god i don 't i don 't know if you're real i 'm doubting you i 'm trying to explain to my friends that that you do good work and i don 't even know how to say it anymore. Have you ever been there like where you have Friends or family members and you're trying to relay to them that God is going to love them and God is there for them and God is going to work things for good. But you don't even have the energy to say it because you don't know how to say it because maybe you don't believe it yourself at the moment. Because you're locked in this prison. And you're like, man, I don't want God, I don't want God to know the Church, it's God. He knows it. He hears it. He sees it. He's crushing situations. The same with John the Baptist. John's like, man, I am here in prison. The greatest men of God had these moments. Job, when when Job, we, we talk about him all the time. When we talk about how... Satan come up against him. He asked permission from God to test him in several ways, and we celebrate that about Job. But we don't look at verse 14, 19, and this is what it says in Job. And Job says, as water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you destroy a person's hope. Nobody's putting that on a camp t-shirt. <laughs> Nobody. Leah's not sitting back there. Leah's not sitting there and savvy, like, oh, that's a good idea for a song. So you destroy a person's hope. Nobody's singing that. But that's where Job was in that moment. Elijah. Remember Elijah? The 450 prophets of Baal. And we don't have time to go through that whole story, man. But it was Elijah. And he was a boss that day because he come up against 450 prophets of Baal. And they were like, our God can defeat your God. And Elijah's like, no, they can't. And you've got to go back and read in 1 Kings 17 and 18. You've got to read that story. Elijah's God won, which is the God that we're talking about. But here's where Elijah was because after the defeat of the 450 prophets of Baal, Jezebel sends him a letter and all of a sudden, Elijah, mountaintop experience, now he is running. This is what he says in 1 Kings 19 3-5. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life and when he came to Beersheba in Judea, he left his servant there and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. You know what he said? I've had enough, Lord. I give up. Like we just had this incredible, powerful moment, God. And here we are right now. I am running for my life. Why couldn't we just stay trucking alone where we run from city to city just defeating false gods? That, that brought more glory to your name, right? That, that got the story out there. I have had enough, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down in the bush and he fell asleep. A mighty man of prayer, but now he's praying out of depression and fear. But please, church, do not lose Sight that he is still praying to God. He's still praying to the one he knows can answer the question. And listen, I understand where Elijah is from a little bit now. Here's the difference. You're like, well, why wasn't he afraid of 450 people, but he's afraid of one letter? Because that was a woman who wrote that letter. And there are times, no, you laugh, but there are times, husbands, when I have made a comment to my wife, and there was no words involved, she just stared at me. And for a brief second, fear crept in my body. Right? You, you act like you haven't been. Don't be that guy, because you know you are. You're like, oh, I'm joking. And all of a sudden, she gives that look. And I'm like Oh, my gosh. And then, like I've said a hundred times, they all watch those murder shows. You just don't do things like that. Why would you just pick fights with people would know how to kill you and get away with the body? They want those hundreds of husband-killing shows. <laughs> Crushing situations, another reason we get to this place and the reason John was in this place was because of incomplete vision. It's in these crushing situations that doubt starts to set in. And John the Baptist was there. And the reason he was there in the moment of doubt, and the same reason we have a lot of moments of doubt, is church, because we can't see the outcome. You read the Psalms, of so much depression and despair in the book of Psalms, and then you read the outcome of that. You, you see the disciples when they see Jesus carried away, and, and in their mind they want to believe that the outcome's going to be good, but they all ran and they scattered. Peter, who, who was a man who wasn't afraid to step out on the water and walk towards Jesus, was crippled with fear in this moment because he didn't understand and didn't know if the outcome was really going to be Jesus was going to rise again on the third day. And even when he rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven, the disciples were still a little bit afraid because they didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was coming back down. They didn't understand that Jesus didn't leave them there alone. And I want to give you an illustration that God still shows up even when we're in doubt. And God prepares us for these moments. He provides us with grace in these moments. And sometimes we just don't recognize the grace that he is providing. Let me give you an example. You remember in John 21 through 24 when Thomas doubted? Everyone who grew up in church knows the story of doubting Thomas. Now, I know you didn't know the song that I talked about while ago. You looked at me like, you made that up. I can't wait until you Google it. And you're like, oh, man, there is a song called that. I just didn't listen in church. Ha! Listen. How many of you have heard of Doubting Thomas, right? Come on. Oh, thank goodness. Thomas had a moment of frustration. He acted out of fear and disappointment. How many times have we been there where we act out of fear and disappointment? How many of us are there now? Thomas is like, man, I'm sick of this because Jesus had come and revealed himself to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there that first time. So the disciples go back and they're telling him about it, and Thomas is like, man, I'm just sick of this. Like, where is he at? Jesus wasn't meeting Thomas' expectations. He's like, right now, he said, I'm sorry. I just don't believe it. You know how long that doubt lasted? Eight days. Eight days. But I want you to notice something. Eight days later, he's still with a small group. He's still with his small group of people. And in moments of doubt, moments of pain, you have to stick with this small group of people that you have in life. We call them here at church life group. And if you're not a part of a life group, I'm begging you, be a part of a life group. Find a life group and get in that life group because those are the people that will hold you up when you're weak. Those are the people who won't judge you when you start to doubt. Those are the people that you can sit down in a chair or a couch or a floor or wherever you meet and say, my life is falling apart right now. I'm doubting God. He's not meeting my expectations. I don't even know what to pray for anymore. And those people will start praying for you or they're going to start being honest and say I'm there too and all of a sudden you're in a group of circle of people and you're just praying God show up but we are going to trust we don't know how you're going to deliver it we don't know how you're going to answer this prayer but everyone in this room we're just going to trust you we have no choice but to trust you God because we're you're the one that we know that can have the answer and provide the answer because we do not know the outcome and guess what Jesus did with Thomas Doubt he showed up Church, he always will show up. Get you some godly friends. Get you a life group. And walk through life. Because we're not meant to be here alone. That's the grace that God provides us so many times. And we're too blind to see it. We spend so much time fighting and arguing. Wanting our opinions to be right. We're too blind to see the people around us. And God's like, do life together. God never wants your faith to rest on. On you? That's not the way it was meant to do. He wants our faith to rest on him. And he wants us to walk through life with one another. Last. Is the cultural influence around us. Notice that John didn't start asking multiple opinions. Or going with whatever the culture flow was at the time. He sent word to the very one who could answer his question. He wanted to hear from Jesus. And Jesus sent back his answer. And he replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Go back and report this: that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus was basically quoting Isaiah 35 and 61. And he knew that John wouldn't understand that. And number one thing I want you to realize is that God. Jesus did not get mad at John for asking the question in the first place. Jesus knew where he was. It's not like I can sit here and I sit here. If I left here this morning, I'm on my car ride home and, like, Jesus, here's the deal. I just preach the message on doubting you in the moments where we're locked in these invisible prisons and we can't see the outcomes of it. And these crushing situations are hitting us. And the culture around us is telling us just do what feels good, do what's right, do your thing, forget about God. It's not like if I sit there in that car and say, Hey, God, where are you? It's not like God's going to sit there and look at Peter in heaven. It's like, hey, that early kid, when he gets to heaven, instead of a mansion, we're going to build like a replica of a Tennessee football stadium, and that's where he's going to spend his eternity in heaven. That's not what God's doing. That would be punishment for me, by the way. But here's the thing. God doesn't mind the questions but where he wants you to go for the answers, he urges you to go to Scripture and get to know him better. Find out what he's really like. Learn what he has really promised to do. He always surprises those who get to know him better. Remember his word of encouragement in Matthew eleven six: "Blesses anyone who does not stumble account of me, church." He's not afraid of your disappointment. He's not afraid of your expectations you felt are not being met. God may not meet the promise that you think he should meet, but he's always going to meet the promise that his word declares. And his word declares that he never will deceive us. His word declares that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's walking with us. So if that's you this morning, you're in this place where John was, I'm telling you, you're not alone. John wasn't alone. You just have to be real with God and have those conversations with him and then help get help with somebody who can guide you to the word where the answer is because I promise you, this is where it is. Expectations are met here, but they're the expectations that God promises, not the one that we think the way that he should be. Gosh, I hope that come out right. It didn't sound right in my head. But I promise you the answers are here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Even though we don't understand fully everything that's going on, we, don't, we can't see the outcome of whatever situation we're facing in this place today. God, I just pray that instead of looking outside of your word for the answers, that we would turn to your word that provides us with the peace that we need to hold on to the hope that we have that's through your Son, Jesus Christ. Anywhere else, Father, we know is not going to be the right way. God, I pray we know as a church today that even though we have doubts, even though there's moments where we're scared, even though there's moments where we can't make sense of a situation, that we understand and know because your word declares it, that you're still in control. You still know the outcome and you still hold the future in your hands. Help us to know that you probably are working something together for our good that exceeds our expectations. But God, may we just continue to trust in you because that's all we have, and that's enough. We thank you and we praise you for the mercies that you give us every day. For it's in your son Jesus' name we pray.